0: Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we explore what it means to be a well-rounded, happy, goal-crushing athlete. Every week, myself, sports journalist Molly Herford, and cycling coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford interview experts and chat through all of your training questions. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Peter, how's it going?
1: Uh, I think on the whole, it's going well We're or going along with training, but, uh, yeah, it's busy. It's always, it's fitting it in, isn't it? It's, that's the challenge.
0: Yeah. But you know, now we're a month and a half into the new year. It does really feel like there's a, a bit of that. Oh boy. Now it's, now it's just work. It's the, the sexy new year, new you energy is gone. And now it's, it's just the day to day. I
1: think it's that. And then I think knowing, you know, the first races, you know, some of the first races, uh, are, are coming up. You said old pap Pueblo.
0: Old Pueblo is uh, happening right now as hours. we record.
1: And then there's a couple of the first UCI mountain bike races happening, uh, I guess, this past weekend uh, when when the listener is taking this in.
0: Esports worlds are over, which means spring must be right around the corner.
1: That's right. So I mean, it's exciting, right? I think this is the time where you know maybe it's, it's a little difficult early in February to sort of motivate, and then you start getting maybe a day or two if you haven't been able to get outside, depending on where you live. You know, you maybe get you know a little couple of days that are a little warmer, uh, and and then you can see you know March is coming, March breaks coming, uh, spring break, I guess, is, is what you call it.
0: Yes, and as we always say, there's always less time than you think before your goal race, which is always the the big thing about these early spring gravel races, which is what we're talking about today. So, I mean, uh, you know, coming up in April, we have Paris to Ancaster, Rasputitsa, Mid-South, uh, a few other Fairly big ones. And I know just a you know big, a smattering of local ones. Mountain biking starts up in the States in a lot of places. Uh, and I mean, for people who have big goals in that arena, A, it can just be a bit of a minefield trying to figure out how to train for that over the winter and at this time of year. But B, it can also be a little bit tricky. I found this last year uh, to then maintain motivation and training and stuff for the duration of what can be a very, very long season. Uh, you know, last year, the Lifetime Grand Prix riders raced from early April all the way into almost November uh, with just that six race series, not to mention everything else they were doing. But, uh, you know, for me, similarly, I had my big race in February and then I was racing into September. And, you know, no matter whether you're doing one, you know, like a couple big races or you're doing like almost every weekend of racing, it definitely can get uh, a mm-hmm. little mm-hmm a little tiring. So maybe let's just say before we get into most of the tips and tricks we have today, just to give yourself a little bit of grace to maybe ease your way into this one, unless it's your A++++ race.
1: Certainly. Yeah. It's knowing thyselves, you know, who are you and, and what are you trying to do? Because it does depend how you would prepare for it, how much you need to prepare for it. And then as you've sort of laid out, you know, what maybe you have to do afterwards, if it is the main race, then, you know, and then you maybe have another race later in the season, that might be a, a double peak where you have to actually, you know, when everyone's racing in May, now you have to sit that out. So the FOMO is almost inevitable, I guess. Um,
0: I think but- that's actually a really good thing when you're thinking of the season and we didn't really talk about that in our race calendar episode a couple of weeks ago, but I think just kind of accepting that as an athlete, there is almost always going to be some Amount of FOMO. There's probably going to be FOMO even when you fully recognize that you are not actually missing the thing. Like I'll tell you, last weekend when I could have been running a hundred miles in Oklahoma, was not mad to not be running a hundred mm-hmm. miles in Oklahoma. Tiny bit of me was like, oh, I should have gone back to defend, but very glad on the whole that I did not.
1: Hmm. Yeah. No. It's it's a tricky. I think that's the the human condition, especially with social media. The human. Social media condition.
0: Yeah, exactly. So anyway, this episode is all about early season gravel racing. But before we get into it, a quick word from our sponsor. We are again talking about Athletic Greens and AG1, which is honestly, literally the only supplement that I take and my favorite supplement that I take. I was actually just explaining to a friend over lunch the other day. She was asking me if I'd you know heard about Athletic Greens and like what I thought about it and i was like honestly they sponsor this or they sponsor our podcast but i would be telling you this regardless because i pay for it for my dad it is the best tasting greens powder that i have ever had and i've tried almost all of them that are on the market
1: that's right but it's not just a greens powder
0: not just a greens powder it is 75 ingredients containing all of the micronutrients we've got vitamins we've got minerals prebiotics probiotics adaptogens greens, all the fun stuff that your body needs. Uh it's honestly just such a good sort of insurance, you know, to to just make sure that you are eating, you know, getting the right things. Uh it's also keto, paleo, vegan, gluten-free, all the all the things.
1: That's right. And for the athletes who might be tested or for those who don't want, you know, weird stuff added to their supplements, it does have that NSF for sport rating.
0: Exactly. Uh, so yeah, and she also asked what flavor it was, and I told her, again, my favorite vanilla papaya. She's like, I have heard the vanilla. I've never heard anyone say papaya, so right. I could be lying about the and papaya. And I don't think that's
1: the actual, that's not the actual flavor. Not that's the what actual Molly flavor. feels like it, it tastes like. I would not, if you don't like papaya, or you don't know what a papaya is. <laughs>
0: tropical with a hint I assure of vanilla. You it's pretty good. It's so, pretty
1: good. Athletic Greens AG1, if and there's a link to get yes. a bonus.
0: So to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D, which is also a delicious, I'm going to say, cucumbery-tasting oil droplet, plus five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com backslash Molly H. Again, that is athleticgreens.com backslash Molly H. To take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Seriously, it is so worth it.
1: All right. So that's that. So we're into this episode. We have early gravel races. We're calling early, I, I think before May. You know, again, it, this mm-hmm. might be regional. You might be thinking we're in Florida currently. They're, they're racing in January because it gets way too hot in the summer. You may have to, you know, think two week, two months out from the season, the earliest races in your season, depending on what your season is. Today we're talking about spring classics. So, I I always think you know our Paris to Ancaster is sort of modeled, I believe, after the Paris Roubaix, which would be like a spring classic. So it's this, it's also this,
0: roughly the same time of year. This as This is it? right.
1: Yeah, yeah, in Belgium. So they're usually stormy. If you think of, if you think about these races, why don't we get this one question? The one question from a friend was, "Is it fun?" Uh,
0: well, it's it's type two fun, we'll say.
1: And so yeah, I think if you think about this the the this classics in Belgium and what those people look like at the end of them (laughs) and how chaotic it is. It's not that extreme generally, but that's sort of the thing you're signing up for. So I think you do want to know if you're, you know, a fair weather mountain biker who likes going off of jumps and not pedaling for more than 20 seconds and not being around a lot of people. It's probably Probably not, not for you. Yeah. It's probably not for you. You can ride a mountain bike in these. I think everything's I did, uh, what was that 2016 maybe i rode my mountain bike in paris to ancaster um it was originally a mountain bike race so it's certainly very open if you want to participate and a lot of these races are big you know thousand plus uh persons uh participating so it can be very low key
0: okay so how do i win it on 10 hours of training a week well you're i'm not jumping right in for the record Yeah, yeah so
1: so fun depends but i mean i think it's like any bike race it's hard and then there's good stories at the end most of these races uh i'm not pronouncing the one can you do the one (laughs) okay that's probably not it either but i'm sure we'll hear about it uh so that one happens around the, the end of april as well so we have that uh barry roubaix uh there's there's so many and i'm sorry if we're missing any of these these spring events um, we're sort of basing a bit around Paris to Ancaster with the questions just cause it's sort of our local race. We like what they do point you've to coached,
0: point. I mean, you've coached so many people through it. We've raced it a few times. We have
1: a training plan, a three month training plan that we'll also reference. We'll put in the show notes if you're curious, of, you know, you want to see if some of my secret Paris to Ancaster workouts are built into this um yeah we just love it you know and it's how i've started since i was 15 i think it was how the mountain bike season we'd start it was the first race of the year before the trails were ready and i always just used it to get the first race out of the way and i didn't really care that much because it wasn't mountain biking uh but it was just you know how's your fitness you know get a start line and it was good so, how do you win it on 10 hours was another tongue-in-cheek question. We had lots of tongue-in-cheek questions yes, for this thank round. Thank you for
0: that, everyone. <laughs> uh,
1: so, how do you win with 10 hours? I, I tried to get Mike Garrigan, who has one good friend. Uh, he works now for some, a bearing company.
0: Ceramic Speed.
1: Yeah, I hope that's the right one. Uh, also,
0: was, I'm just assuming that the person who asked this question was being totally, like, no, genuine I, I, and is now like, oh. <laughs> there
1: was no tongue-in-cheek. So I would guess that Mike probably has won it on 10 hours. and it's always that who are you? And you know he's a pretty experienced, pretty genetically gifted.
0: And Mike has possibly the best advantage for Paris Lancaster of all time in that his starts are phenomenal. And if there's one thing in that race that really matters, there's a couple of pinch points at the start. Where, if you can do a Mike Garrigan and somehow pedal at 5,000 watts mm-hmm. for like three mm-hmm. seconds.
1: Yep. Um, yeah. So let's, can you win it? I, I mean, I, I said probably, you know, there's a little bit of luck. Uh, you know, that's going to go into that. This is, it is more of a road race. So, I mean, there's lots of road races get won by a person who's not as fit as not the fittest person, but the smartest person. So if you don't have your nose out in the wind and you follow the right brakes, you make the right choices. You don't fall over. You spend your, your 10 hours of fitness. You spend it wisely. You have a good bike setup. You don't flat. I'm sure it's possible. Uh,
0: now, this year it might be even trickier because it is technically the Canadian Gravel Nationals, first ever.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we didn't get, we're doing this, we didn't get a lot of bite back from Paris Lancaster Castor folks. They're busy. Uh, so I don't know a ton about the Nationals. I've looked into it. There's sort of a separate start, it's open to all the different age groups, and you sort of decide one way or the other. You have to do, it's not necessarily 100K. They've changed the names this year. So there's like a long, a medium, and a, a, a short. They have special european sounding names um
0: oh i actually was gonna i was just gonna give them kudos for calling it long medium and short (laughs) no instead of like venti grande
1: yeah no centro i think yeah so it's it's like starbucks when we'll use starbucks from here on in because it's not an official podcast um so where were we going with that how are you winning 10 hours are we gonna stick with that
0: Yeah. Okay. So if you're going to, if you're going to do only 10 hours a week of training, you're probably going to not want to do the Vente option. You're (laughs) going to want to go for more of the grande, possibly the tall.
1: Well, I mean, I guess, so this is, this is it, right? So you know the event and then you can set your winning. We always say like winning for everyone is different. You can win the day. You can compete without winning. I, I just heard this yesterday, actually, you know, we want, we can prepare you to compete, but to to win is is another thing. I've spent my whole life being second at things. You know, I joke, but I'm not joking. You know, it's it's very hard to do that extra little bit of effort and and, and be lucky and be smart. I don't think I'm lucky or smart in bike racing usually. Um, you know, I have been fortunate, but that that's the idea. So for you, you're competing, or or I'm going to call it you're winning, if you will. It's sort of confusing, I guess, but it's you know, you could be in the 40k. If you've never done it, you've never ridden a gravel bike for 40k, then maybe that's what you're aiming for. And, and maybe you're winning or you're competing is just finishing it and feeling good and staying upright. And maybe it's your first mass start race. And then likewise, you know, we had John Barnes, who's a very accomplished rider. Last year, he did the, the middle one, the grande, <laughs> uh, the middle option, uh, not the full venti to <laughs> it's so confusing the venti i'm
0: trying to think of other sizings <laughs> to use just to well really we can keep... use the
1: actual names no no was...
0: i want to keep messing with it okay here.
1: okay so we're going to call it the hundred maybe or i'll keep trying with the venti but here we go so he did the middle option and he won and that was the old distance uh and, and so he won that one. It was a good race, but you know not the most competitive race because the, the elites weren't in it, and everyone went to this new longer hundred k. So this year, because it's gravel nationals, uh, I don't want to spill a secrets, but John Barnes is is going to go into that masters uh, nationals category for the hundred or the you know long distance one.
0: So what you're saying is the medium, the grande distance is up open. for grabs. Up for grabs.
1: So all that to say, I, I think you could win in a variety of ways like that. Um, but yeah, I think if, you, if you're if you consistent, like it's just, it's one of those things, like I think people get so attached to hours a week and it, there's really no context sometimes with that. You're not training 10 hours every single week. So if if we wanted to an- try and answer that question shortly, even though this has been long. Uh,
0: uh, it hasn't been long. It's, <laughs> it's been, been a <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yeah.
1: So what I would say is, if you only have 10 hours, you know, you try and be consistent for the next two months. We have two months to go. If, you know, you can get out and get a long weekend, and this is just, you know, you take Friday off, you take Monday off, whatever you take off, and you try and get a little extra boost, you know, especially in this this first month, this would be February, early March, uh, right? Well, I guess just even March. So you have March break. Even that month in March or that week of March break, if you could get boost that, I think that's going to be worthwhile. That's going to give you, you know, maybe six weeks out from the race, a bit of a camp, more big proponents of staying at home, a staycation where you're just maybe not going to work as much or at all. And hopefully you can get a big volume boost. I think that's going to, you know, make, well, if you say, oh, I'm only a 10 hour person, I think that changes the, the, the scenario a little bit, but. Yeah. No, I
0: love that. And I think that actually leads very nicely into the next question of like, you know, doing any of these races without much outdoor riding so even mm-hmm. in that case of that like stay at home weekend the per- you know, person in question may not be able to do all of the riding outside maybe they can get in a fat bike or maybe they can get in like one ride outdoors but mm-hmm. it's just crummy mm-hmm. out or it's cold or miserable
1: and so i do have clients who partially because of this this how cramped this preparation period is it's supposed to be the quote-unquote specific preparation and, and a lot of times you're we haven't been able to ride outside you know until the week of the race maybe or or maybe the weekend before you get lucky and you get to go outside
0: yeah and i mean right now in ontario it has been unseasonably warm so people have gotten to get in at least a few rides which has been fantastic for everybody
1: perhaps though only on pavement yeah i um, think actually
0: a lot of i've seen a lot of stuff from trails around ontario and even paris dancaster instagramming please stay off the trails.
1: Sure. Sure. So this is the challenge. I, I think generally you're able to get out if, if you're keen. You're gonna have to bundle up. You know, you're know you gonna have to be ready to test the equipment, which would be a big piece of winning, again, is, is having the right equipment to, towards your skills, right? If you're a very technically sound rider, you might run a little less tire to try and get you know ahead on the road or keep up on the road. Uh, and then vice versa, right? If you're a very fit rider coming from the road, you may do a bit more tire so that you can keep up on the you know and, and stay upright uh, on some of the off-road pieces so equipment can be really good and testing it um yeah i mean just being really good at paris to so you could see someone who's and there's lots of masters people who do very well in like top 10 overall i and that's just because they know how to work the game they're experienced with the event
0: and you know what i would say about them too it's a lot of the the hard men, hard women that do get out and do those rides, like mm-hmm. where they are riding outside whenever humanly possible. Mm-hmm. Those are the ones that come out gangbusters right, at a this, race like or or Raspitiza, like anytime where there's them. like where it's really cold, where there's yep. mud, where it's just a absolute grind. Sure, that's where they just kick yeah. ass. They're, they're,
1: they're they're if you think about them as animals, like they're not in a zoo you know, pent up in their basement, not doing the thing. They're, they're out in the environment, you know. They're
0: like a hamster in the wild. Yeah, exactly. Of on if a, a hamster
1: was in the wild, they are adapting to it. Uh, so they just know, they know the equipment, they know the appropriate amount of clothing to go hard in, uh, you know, and, and ways to adapt that, you know, without having to stop. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's just, they're well adapted to that. And that's, again, we're 10 hours. Like this gets to, this week I redid our, we have a, how high should my fitness score be in training peaks post? And it's always, it's sort of a, it's one of our more popular posts because people are always Googling like, what is fitness score in training peaks or CTL?
0: But it's probably one of your most frustrating. Because
1: <laughs> it's, <the> <laughs> it's really, it's like nothing. It doesn't really tell you anything. I try and give examples of, you know, you have someone who only rides very, very easy on a trainer or, or like on a road And then they're also, you know, they're going to compete in a mountain bike race, but then you have this other person that trains half as much and just rides, you know, does their mountain bike and a little bit of road and, you know, does intervals and endurance and works on their skills. And it's like, who would you bet on if, you know, they could train half as much, their fitness score could be half as much. And would you really bet on the the easy ride and (laughs) road rider? I don't know.
0: No, we just get very attached to the, this is where that, like, what gets measured gets managed actually can work really hard against us, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. It's the reason people don't go out in their backyards, and myself included, and do the wheelie practice or the dismount practice. And by the way, for Paris Stancaster, please, for the love of God, or any of these races where there could be big mud patches. I know Barry Roubaix had some dismounts too. Sure please practice your remount dismount before race day there's if you often, haven't done it all winter
1: i think most paris tankers i've probably been off my bike three or four times it, even it,
0: just to run around someone who's like stuck and well taken up yeah, space in there, the single as you track. say there's
1: pinch points where you end up there's one coming off the rail trail to start usually um where you have to run up like a loose hill if you're not one of the first people and you clear it uh, sometimes on the last climb of the course, people have to walk or run just cause they're out of fitness, out of gears. Uh, but sometimes it's also very muddy. So you might have to just like hop over a ditch or something. There's a couple of actual ditches you have to hop through usually. Uh, and then there's usually a few fields that just you spin out or, and I'm not great with, you know, s- keeping traction seated. So I end up just running instead often trying to protect the bike maybe. Um, so yeah, that's there's lots of stuff that goes into these spring classics that isn't, you know, quote unquote, I guess, bike fitness, right. Or power.
0: Yeah, exactly. Or
1: hours, I guess is per the question. Mm
0: Uh,
1: where do you want to go from there?
0: Well, I think really we can kind of get into, uh, we have the we have a post on five things to do the week or so before the race. We just touch on dismounts, remounts. So I think that's a good one to to remember. Um, we can touch on the rest of them, and then we can kind of get into the couple gear questions we had because I think that's actually a really big part.
1: Well, so do you want before we do that? We should have spoke about this. So we we'll, are we we should probably just talk a bit more about training now, and then we'll get towards event day. Sure. Okay.
0: Okay. What else you got?
1: Well, so we're two months out. So, you know, you've probably been training. If you, have been tra- if you haven't been training, then you should start. And it doesn't really matter what you do. Just get started, whatever you'll do. Uh, but, you know, this is the period where if you're really keen on this event, then you're going to start doing, you know, a harder workout or two every week. Otherwise, it can be pretty easy. It can still be cross training just to keep the hours up. We love cross training because it generally lets us do more hours, whether that's by motivation whether that's by, you know, body parts getting sore, you know, sitting on the trainer, um, you know, just even to get variety in there, it's, it's nicer to include the cross training.
0: Well, and I think especially if riding outside is impossible, doing some kind of cross training where you can be outside is mm-hmm, mm-hmm. really helpful just because I mean, all these races, especially the ones that are in the you know northern side, like if you're racing down in Florida, again, this is not really mm-hmm. t- for you, unfortunately, but If you are racing in one of these really chilly races, but all you've been doing for the last four months is training indoors, it's going to be a world of hurt to get out there. You're not going to know how to dress. You're not going to like mm-hmm. how you feel on the start line. There's just so much that you're going to miss out on if you haven't done any training outside. Sure,
1: and that's not to say, I mean, I think probably, you know, a Zwift race or hard intervals on the trainer, I'm, I'm sure, again, I think probably twice a week there's room for something like that. For sure, that's Wh- why I said some, yeah, th- yeah, do,
0: yeah. do some kind of cross training at least like once a week So outside. I would say in
1: we have sort of all of March and all, you know, all of April, but again, your race may be a little more offset from that. Um, so then once you get into that sort of last four weeks, then I would start thinking trying to get outside more, trying to do a bit more intensity outside. A lot of times in Paris tancaster that final climb is a big one for a lot of people. Uh, and it's, it's big partially because they're riding longer and harder than they have in months and months and months. They're riding outdoors for the first time. They're riding off road, perhaps for the first time. And they're riding uphill, perhaps for the first time. So there's always the question of why did I cramp and it's because of those things. <laughs> it's not, you know, it's not necessarily a hydration, you know, fueling and hydration are a piece to persevering longer and, and pacing appropriately. Uh, but those things are, are, are part of it, right? Is just, you haven't done it. So you can hopefully control that by trying to go to a hill, trying to go to, again, this is the trainer versus outdoors is going to help with that.
0: Yeah. And a lot, I'd say a lot of these races that we mentioned do have those popper climbs, especially towards the end. I'm pretty sure Barry Roubaix does too. Maybe not exactly the same. Most of
1: them go uphill at some point. Most of them have, you know, uh, hard bits. You know, there's going to be hard bits at some point. It's usually the off road or uh, uphill or both that really, you know, if you're a cramping person, that's usually when it happens. So uh, working on that. Uh, Related to cramping and climbing and off road is just gearing. This is definitely where. You know, if you have stock road for sure, but stock uh, cross bike gearing and you come into that hill and you don't have the fitness to push that, um, again, fit for the task. You you haven't been practicing climbing, uh, especially with these gearing, which usually means standing, which a lot of folks aren't used to. So there's just a lot of new stuff. So you can improve your equipment choice, your, your gearing choice. That might be something you can work with your bike shop now. They'd probably be psyched to have you in, in the off season talking about that. Uh, And then, again, can you go to a hill and and even in April, late March, start working on some hill intervals even?
0: Love it. Yeah. Uh, Also, note on your bike, the reason we're saying get it outside and make sure it works uh, is because you probably haven't charged that gravel bike battery all winter if you have DI2 or electronic shifting. I just always think about this whenever I think about Paris Steincaster because I remember passing a guy the last time we it was what we haven't done it in a while and it was probably one of the first years di2 had come out and he was you know stuck in the like baby ring like the the easiest gear you could spin i guess right just spinning away because he got caught in it because he, he hadn't charged it all winter showed up and uh yeah, died. On the and, and that
1: could be the person who doesn't ride or the person that rides a lot, I guess. You know, either one of those could end up with a, a battery that has elapsed. Uh, again, like we love this as, with Consummate Athlete, our book, Becoming a Consummate Athlete. A lot of that is around equipment, uh, maintenance and and choice and organization and these things. So Molly loves the charging station. Uh, but definitely I would, I, I haven't used a lot of electronic. I, I will, I think I have it this year on my gravel bike. Um but you got to charge it like don't assume that you charged it last week. I would say this is a you know, it's like when you go to the airport with your iPhone, you don't leave with it at 60 percent, assuming there's going to be an outlet or something. You you try and get that at 100 because uh, you don't know, especially with the colder conditions. Yep. Uh, but yeah, you definitely don't want to have that stuff. And I mean, likewise, with anything mechanical uh, on your bike, you're going to want to make sure tires are updated, sealant now in all the tires um, any of that equipment. And again, I think that comes in those two months testing and testing and testing as much as you can, and not everyone can, but as much as you can. Mm-hmm. So you've jumped ahead just a smidge there. Um, the one other question that's related to sort of preparation and, and our plan, the three month, uh, preparation for Paris to Ancaster. Uh, sometimes I'll get this where, you know, the, the, oh, the workouts aren't as long as the race is going to be, which is almost always you know, unless you race cyclocross or you know, cross country. Often that's the case. Molly did a hundred mile running race, your longest run was what? Like in the 30 in the months. miles you think maybe you, you did a longer one maybe like 100k but not was it that i year? mean i did
0: 100k year prior, in that year but
1: a ways out yeah it was the summer like yeah. over six months yeah
0: and that was more of an event that wasn't even like a trade i didn't do a training 100k i <laughs> right, mean i right. guess it was but it was like an event with friends
1: so it's tough when the race gets shorter like you probably would replicate the distance but not necessarily the intensity and the distance uh but what is short depends on the person
0: well and i mean marathon training you would rarely do a marathon
1: unless you were yeah i mean they say even you know the the winners of of elite level marathons don't often go that far they go pretty far because they're pretty quick right but uh with running you get into the distance or the duration you don't want it to go too long in time but obviously we all go different distances all that to say i in the plan specifically i always give a big range um because a lot of people don't have five hours, and I, I personally don't think we need to do that on the trainer. I don't think it's it's worthwhile. It's pretty risky, uh, in most cases. So all that to say, I think you can work within the range, but the reality is that most of us are not going to do, especially for the folks doing the hundred k, who are going to be up in that maybe five hours plus. I don't know uh, range you're probably not going to have a five-hour ride in. You could if you think it's really important and the weather's. you know, I'm not going to tell you what to do. But a lot of people, I think that 90 minutes to three hours is the sweet spot. In the plan, there's a bunch of like two to four is the range that's given, but it'll look, you know, it always looks sometimes like it's like a a two and a half or a three, but there's usually a range that says, you know, if you have time, go for it. Uh, So yeah, so that's that's that. I I don't think you need to replicate it. uh, Most people, it's, it's that question of what should I do? And it's like, well, what equipment do you have? Or how much do you have unlimited time? No, no. I only have eight hours a week. Okay. Well, you're probably not going to do a five hour ride then. Um, You know, it probably doesn't make sense. You probably don't have that time. Right. So don't beat your head against the wall. I think that's the, how most people go into these early events.
0: Yeah. I was going to say, and that's, this is early event specific, right? Like if you had someone who was doing, a race you know more may june i
1: than- guess but you still have to ask that same question how much time do you have <laughs> right true right do you want to do you have a, a time during your week when you can ride for five hours and i, I don't i haven't found it <laughs> in the last year so uh you know th- these people exist for sure and and that's where the customization and stuff comes from my feeling is that this race is is pretty fast and has a lot of group components to it so again this gets to how are your group riding skills can you improve your drafting a bit what type of bike are you using Uh, can we improve any of that to try and speed it up Um, but we sort of assume that a lot of this is you know you're rolling along you're rolling along It maybe in a group maybe with the tailwind there's some downhill so yeah right yeah
0: cool all right now are we on race day or was there anything else on training
1: Uh, my computer turned off what else do you have here on the list
0: Gear. I pretty much just have gear stuff now, it looks like to me. Okay. Okay, so race day. Um I think clothing is a really big thing and we did get a couple questions about this ranging from leg warmers to shoe covers to like what kind of jacket to wear. Um and I think this is a really good question because honestly, like these early season races, race morning sucks. Mm-hmm. Like Paris-Stancaster in particular because it's a remote start is Honestly, one of the hardest race starts, especially because it is your first one of the year. So you have like race nerves, race jitters, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you know, not to mention there's a really long porta potty line that takes forever because everyone is wearing like 80 layers. So everyone has to get in the porta-potty and take off their right. their puffy jacket and then their cycling jacket and then their long sleeve jersey and then undo their bib straps. It's the worst.
1: And most of them have a fair number of porta-potties. Um, Can
0: you tell that I've been triggered by this before at Paris to Ancaster, like I standing like mean, hopping I, from foot to foot. But anyway. Porta-potty
1: uh, line is sort of a standard thing. But yeah, you want to figure that out. And I think this is where the experience with these events comes from. A lot of people might stop on the way and take care of at least the major bathroom issues uh and then maybe you know they can find other solutions other than porta potties Uh, (laughs) must
0: be nice
1: not that i'm suggesting anyone do anything Uh, so that's that's that but yeah these are the race morning and the problem i think you were getting at is that it's generally chillier it's very cold earlier in the day often raining april So you get into this dilemma of do you uh, sometimes you've come on a bus depending on you know you might not have people there who are going to take your big raincoat so then you get into you know are you racing with a raincoat what's what's the strategy?
0: Not to mention you're in the start corrals at a lot of these for long enough that you know it's not going to be easy to necessarily hand off your raincoat to someone because you're in such a scrum right like it's it's always been okay for you because you're usually in the front row but as someone who's been kind of like shunted to the you know, back of the wave or whatever it's, there's no way to like hand off your coat. You basically have to go to the start wave or to the corral, like as you are going to race.
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess if you had someone who was on the side, I think people would pass your coat.
0: It's just tricky. It's so busy there. I know. I know. I I get really stressed about it though. Okay. So,
1: so there's the coat. So, a lot of times, I've just driven and I just figure out my car afterwards. Try and get a ride with someone, or I've arranged a ride with someone. Sometimes we've been fortunate and someone's there who's you know going to support you know parents or uh, friends or whatever, and they give you a ride back. I, I think that's you know it, you got to be careful that you can find parking or whatever, but that's generally the best. The best is if you have support, but it's hard to get support sometimes. So, I mean, what I would do if you know you had no support, you're just getting dropped off there. Uh, I would probably run my definitely my bags up the front of my shirt.
0: I would, and that's like an actual just grocery store yeah, plastic bag, just
1: to try and keep a bit more warmth in. It, depending on the day, this is where you get into who are you, what are you trying to do, like how long are you going to be out there, what are the conditions like? It's so variable, so it, it's hard. the The general rule of thumb is you're probably going to be uncomfortably cold on the start line, uh, and then you'll you'll warm up. But if you know yourself as someone who has, you know, stopped on the side of the road and curled into a ball because you're going, you know, hypothermic, probably not. But, you know, you know you get what I mean. You're probably someone who should wear like a more, you know, burly sort of coat. If you're someone who's just riding it, more touring it, you do think you're going to be on the plus side of, you know, even five hours, then there is a bit of exposure there. So you probably do want to be thinking coat and, and some of this other stuff. And maybe you have now there's great bar bags and frame bags and, uh, you know, packs that you might just maybe you're just treating it again more like a tour or a bike pack uh and, and then in that case your your decision's pretty easy you have all the stuff you need so you know and i think that's great too right that's the adventure you got a, a marked route over private property uh it'll be a great day
0: and i mean i'd say nowadays there's so many really good especially like top layers that are so packable so tiny mm-hmm. like i have a great uh wind shell from viliercheur now that would take up half a jersey pocket. Like sure. it barely takes up any space, and it's super stretchy. Like I would a hundred percent wear that. So you have so many, yeah, so many good options these days. And, and I believe there's
1: garbage is at most of these so there is the old you know
0: like the marathon trick of
1: right you try and you wear like a hoodie that you're okay getting rid of yeah or like an old winter jacket or something some races will do like a donation yeah uh you know where they can give it to like the out in the cold sort of foundations or something like that too uh so that's that so that's clothing is tough but i think if you're trying to win you're going to have to be a little aggressive on the clothing. And this is where we get to in the last four or the four weeks before the race. Can you get out and do some intervals? You don't have to simulate a hundred K race, something like a four by 10 or, you know, whatever you believe in where you're getting heated up and hopefully the weather's similar. Again, this is where it's tough. Sometimes it's very warm for three weeks beforehand and then it's snowing on the day of the race and you have to figure it out. And this is where experience over time uh, translates. But you uh, want to figure out what you can get away with yeah. and, and wait is to adapt it. Can you get gloves that you pull off or, uh, again, the the bag up the front of the shirt is super easy to pull out and put in your Jersey pocket. It takes up zero room. So some of these like little ways that you can, uh, modulate your, uh, temperature.
0: You haven't, uh, you haven't used your favorite ever Jeremy Powersism.
1: Uh, yeah, I don't know. He never did one. I don't think so. It's one of those tricky things, but he always said, you can't win if you're wearing leg warmers, which I guess he was referring more to cyclocross.
0: Yeah, he was referring to cyclocross. And, and
1: then it gets tricky because I think it's okay to win in tights, like full length tights. So it's sort of a tricky thing. And I, I don't think it's true because I think people win Paris Sankester in, in leg warmers all the time. But let's pretend that he said you can't overdress and win. Like you have to be generating a fair bit of heat to to get through this thing quickly.
0: I'd also say if you're going to wear leg warmers, I would highly recommend like throwing a couple safety pins in those bad boys on the outside of your thighs just to make sure that they stay up because there are a lot of running sections and, um, you and leg I... warmers and running. And you and I argue about this all the time because right. you seem to think that all leg warmers are perfect and never <laughs> move. This is,
1: again, know thyself and the stuff you have. So it may be, you may need to get different leg warmers. Maybe and, you've never invested in them.
0: And if I was going to do this, again, I, this is like not sponsored by Velocia, but Velocia makes the Lux bib tight and it's unlined tight. It's just like a normal, like um, just normal bib short material, but it's full length. I would 100% run those versus trying to mess with leg warmers. Okay. So I'd say like, if you really, if you really want to do well, and you're nervous about leg armors, invest in a set of long tights, but don't get fleece lined ones, they will be overkill. Unless it is in the well into the negatives, fleece tights are going to be way too much.
1: Right, right. And we do have another post, we can maybe make a note here about the dressing matrix. Uh, oh, yeah, right? I'll put that For up. Temperature. And so usually that's what I think is, you know, if we're under zero and not racing, then that's when I'm getting into the full length tights. Um, if it's over zero and under 15, apologies to Americans, I think it was at like up to maybe 60. So freezing to sixties, uh, we're thinking leg warmers, but it gets tricky if you're racing. I think you probably have to bring that down five or 10 degrees,
0: 15 to 20 degrees.
1: And I've always been protective of my knees. So again, this is where you get all finicky with people. So it's just knowing thyself. Knowing your body, knowing your equipment, testing your leg warmers when it's raining out and cold, do they start drooping down and, and what are you going to do about it? Maybe it is a, a, a long t- uh, tight, as you say. Really, it's the same material. There's just no junction, right? So it makes lots of sense um
0: and toe covers were the last question and you and i also had a fight about right. this
1: so i don't believe that toe warmer should ever be used molly is more <laughs> amicable to them
0: i'm a little more amicable to them i'm a little iffy about shoe covers or toe covers for a In race. The race
1: yeah I, I i think you could it's just i get the feet like you get maybe touching the crank and, and it gets sort of heavy on rotating feet so i think if you're someone who knows your feet are going to be a limiter And you're going to be crying at the finish line from frozen feet then definitely use all the tricks in the book like you know wool socks would be where i would start on a cold day if we're closer to freezing definitely you know run a wool sock um and then you know again you know yourself if you're one of these people that the feet are going to be the limiter again this always comes to who are you you know and then the what are you trying to do is are you at the front of the race or are you at the five hour side of the race Because that's going to determine how much heat and how how much exposure, how much time you're out. So it is where it gets very tricky talking about clothing and and even some of the gear choices and the tire choices and that sort of stuff. But we're we're doing our best.
0: Oh, uh, and one other thing I will say as far as gear goes, if it is cold out, like very cold, uh, I would keep your food, assuming you have like gels or something, I'd keep it as close to you as you can, like as tight to your body. Because if Mm. you have it just like on your top tube or something, it could very well, like not freeze, but get so like- Viscous. Viscous, there Mm. you go. Or it could be gelatinous. Or if you have a bar, it's gonna like chip your tooth when you bite into it. (laughs) Your Snickers Uh, bar breaks your tooth. Yeah. Wouldn't that be, that's not fun. No, not fun at all. (laughs) Uh, As someone with a lot of dental bills, don't do that. Uh, So definitely like try to keep your food close to you in a Jersey pocket or something. Uh, or, you know, if you're using drink mix, you should be okay unless it's super, super cold, in which case definitely consider like some uh, insulated bottles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So just be thinking about that. Um, you know, for that reason, I if it was really, really cold, I'd consider running a hydration pack and wear it under a jersey. Um, but that's that's a little extra for I don't, sure.
1: Again, I, I can't recall a time it was so far below zero. There's been a couple of years where uh, I don't know if I would have wore shoe covers.
0: Um, I don't think I've ever worn shoe covers to PDA.
1: Yeah. But again, again, if you're the person who knows your feet are going to be your limiter, uh, then where, where all the shoe covers and heated boots or whatever you need um, again, because you're just trying to get yourself there and we're all going to be limited by something. Right. So mm-hmm. uh, that's, that's really the gamble. And it's the same as the tire discussion really with these clothing and uh, equipment is just, you know, how, how much can you push the limit? To, to still get to the finish or, or to compete in the way that you want to
0: yeah for sure uh oh the i swear last thing about gear uh just with your gloves make sure that they're gloves that work really well even if the bars get wet because a lot of the time with like the just condensation in the air and like the mud and stuff uh i think that's actually part of how adam roberish crashed really badly last year was his hand slipped off the hood
1: Right. He might have been running road tires as well,
0: but... That might have been an issue too. I can't... I I actually am not like positive, but I've seen it happen a a bunch of times in that race where someone's hand just is like sliding all over the the bars just because they didn't really Mm. check the glove to like bar grip situation. Right, right.
1: Yeah, tricky sometimes too when it's getting cold. And as you say, maybe they've put a hand down in mud uh, somewhere along the way. So it it does get tricky. So yeah, knowing the gloves, because this is the the balance. And and I, I would say I probably if it was on that border of you weren't sure i would probably risk and just try and have two sets of gloves and have one in a pocket accessible to maybe go from a mountain bike full fingered and then have something you know whether it slides over top or or is a completely different winter glove uh but that's that's that yeah And again it all comes back to you what are you trying to do uh you know i guess the weather keeping an eye on that Um, and then testing it, right? Like that's, that always comes back that. that, Okay, great. Like you can run whatever you want, but just make sure you (laughs) try and test it as much you can.
0: Also, the one picture we have of us doing Paris Lancaster nine years ago, I just point out you're wearing full gloves and full leg warmers. I am wearing no gloves and really short bike shorts.
1: Okay. Like female specific. I'm going to get positioned here.
0: (laughs) Just saying.
1: Okay, um, I was wearing mountain bike gloves, Yeah, they're, yeah. yeah they're mountain bike gloves. So in this picture, though, this is a trick. I never like racing in a vest, but I was actually wearing a vest. This was before I invented my my like garbage bag up the front of my jersey trick. I was wearing two jerseys and an underlayer, but I had a vest between the two jerseys because I know that I'm someone who gets cold. So I just wore a vest under my jersey. Yeah.
0: We were so young.
1: Yeah, there you go. So... There's that, the last, is this the last question around tires? Last question. Said,
0: I figured I would save tires for well, last. Well, you did
1: say that we were on the last thing about three <laughs> times ago, but maybe you didn't include tires with gear. I was talking about clothing. Okay. So the tire question, there, these are questions we had. We had, what tires am I running out of curiosity? And I know conditions vary, but what would the safest tire choice be with for width and tread? So these are two separate questions. So usually, when I'm looking at this for clients or for myself at, at a given race, it doesn't have to be a spring classic, but any race. Uh, I did this a big deep dive for Big Sugar last year for clients. Um, we were actually down uh, just before Molly's hundred miler, and I rode the whole course just for clients, just to to see because there's all these rumors about people using like mountain bike tires in a gravel race and it being very you know chunky and dangerous. So I, I actually got to see it and i was i was of the opinion that that didn't seem to be the case but then what i'll also do is i'll you know this doesn't seem like rocket science but i'll say it it's you know i'll look at the race videos i'll find the you know pictures of the the winners a couple different winners from different years and certainly male and female and then also looking at just people in the mix right maybe the age group uh pictures sometimes just go through event pictures and just is anyone running a mountain bike tire, you know, a mud tire, or are they all running road tires at like something like a Belgian waffle? Um, Usually you can find and Most of the pros also will have sponsors, which you take with a grain of salt, Uh, but you can find a case in point. uh, Mike Vandenham won Paris Tancaster in last year, 2022, and he is sponsored or was by challenge tires at least. And they had a whole post about it. And so we can learn about what he ran. So he ran a 33 C file tread, I don't know what it's called, in. it doesn't matter what the brand or the, the thing is. You can look it up. It's Challenge. Uh, so a, a tire that's like, you might call it a semi-slick. Maybe it had a little bit of cornering nub, and it's it's like a file. You know, there's little, you know, there's not much tread, but there's a little bit of nubs, tire, tiny nubs uh, on it. And it's 33, so like our standard cyclocross. And, and Mike is a, a very good mountain biker and cyclocross racer, obviously, uh, so he ran basically cyclocross setup, 33 C tire. So a little narrower than our gravel crew might run, but Paris Stancaster has generally been one on cyclocross tires. Now, is that because there weren't tubeless gravel tires? I was just going to say, uh, and everyone didn't have gravel bikes set up. Was it a limitation because of the brakes? Yes, probably to all of those things, but there is a lot of pavement. So it's interesting to see where people end up. Another gentleman, Matt Search of, I, I don't know if it's Techni, I'm probably not pronouncing that, but he has a lot of blogs about Paris and Uh And so you can read all about his tires. He seemed to fall somewhere between that, you know, the 33 and then up as f- into 35s. Uh, is that what it was? And and even some of the Compass tires. And I think the Compass tires, I'm not a big fan of them, but I could see them working pretty well. They, they have one that's very slick, but it's very supple. Um, and I could see that working okay for some people as well uh, we'll go through two clients so as I mentioned John Barnes won the 70k last year and he ran uh Clements in a 33 the las which i think is just like again a uh, square or flat profile. So uh, file tread. So similar to Vandenham. He said this year he's going to run a Bontrager GR1 though in a 35. So gravel tire, but in the narrower 35 versus 38 to 40. I apologize to anyone who's cross-eyed with tech stuff. We only have one more.
0: I'm cross-eyed.
1: And then one of my top female clients uh, did it last year. And this is who are you and what you're trying to do. She was doing Unbound last year and so she actually used this race it was important she really likes Paris Ancaster but because of uh, Unbound having the same problem that there's no you know very quickly we're at that uh, last weekend in May first weekend of June she actually pretty much did it as a simulation of gear and equipment so she had a pack she ran the same uh, Maxis Ramblers the best tire made in my opinion not sponsored at all I just bought two of them at retail uh hey okay, what so she ran that i think in a 40 uh I, I, I have been running 38s uh but i think this year she's not doing it so she was saying that she'll probably try she's testing because she's nervous you know maybe she wants to run the gravel tire just for a little more bite on the off-road but she's going to test over the next two months uh a 35 uh, and i think she was looking at the schwalby g1 which is like the other like there's maxis rambo and the Schwalbe g1 and those are a lot of people uh, or what a lot of people use for gravel tires. So hopefully that's helpful. Um, I don't think I'm doing the race. So the first question sort of moot. But uh, honestly, I would probably just run Max's Ramblers uh, or like a 35, something similar in a 35. I would probably run, uh, probably that decision would be guided if I could run inserts or not. Uh, I would just run inserts so I could slam through stuff, usually resulting in flatting. <laughs> uh tubeless i think is if you can run tubeless do that uh what else width so width probably on you know whatever you normally run for gravel a little narrower Uh, if you're a mountain biker when i did on a mountain bike i ran a 2.0 and very slick not full slick but very slick and very light like very risky tire really uh when i ran because i was a dual suspension mountain bike Uh, am I, I'm rambling on about tires. Is there anything else that I'm missing here? Pressure would be the only thing, right?
0: Yes. Any, any thoughts on pressure? Okay.
1: There, I wanted to make sure you got in here. Um, so again, I would run a little higher personally than I might in like a gravel, certainly than a cyclocross or a mountain bike race. You'd run higher because there's the road I, you know, you don't want the tire rolling you know as you're standing or or in a group there you want it to be a little more road oriented and again this is personal preference and tire preference and whether you're running inserts and whether you're running tubeless and how wide your tires are but i would say you're a little more pressure than your off-road setup and and obviously you're going to run a little less than a full road we're not going to run 100 psi in, in these tires please
0: don't do that
1: um yeah so so i think again it comes back to probably a file tread semi-slick probably a little narrower. If you want a number 35, um, the other theory with the narrower tire on gravel is that the mud, when there is mud might clear better versus if you, if you max it out at a 38, like I I don't have a lot of clearance on my one bike at a 38. So this would be similar on a mountain bike. If you usually run 2.2 and you can drop it to 1.8 or two inches, then maybe that muddle Clear faster, and you won't get the resistance. So, that's I, I think pretty specific to paris Stancaster, but maybe not. You know, some of these are pretty road oriented, like a Barry Roubaix or something like that, too, right?
0: Yeah, I was going to say I think that's very, very similar. Um, cool. I think that pretty much wraps it up. I think the the only last tip here is just to to have fun with this first race of the season. You know, you can go in with big goals and high expectations and really want to do well, but at the same time, also remember, you know, take a breath. This is your first race back. You're probably going to be a little bit shaky, a little bit nervous. It's okay if you, you know, slip a pedal. Just take a breath, take a beat, get back on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just just have fun with it, and make sure at the end you, you're chatting with people, you're smiling, you're enjoying yourself. Uh, you know, just this is why we race, right? Like we're we're in it. We're we're signed up for it because we're so freaking excited to be at a race again. Right. Uh, that's why we did it. So even if it's really cold on race morning, and you're feeling that, uh, se- nagging sensation of, Oh God, why did I sign up for this? Remember, you're going to feel so good at the finish line.
1: Agreed. Yeah. And it's definitely a big undertaking to run these point to points through private lands too. So make sure you're saying thank you. And you know, it's definitely a race that's very hard to put on. It could be, you know, on a little loop track somewhere on private property and, and be much cheaper and easier to run. Uh, but this is a lot of people traveling across a lot of highways and road crossings. So Mm -hmm. kudos to the Paris, you know, kudos to all these events. I was
0: going to say all those events pretty much do that. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right, well let's, let's wrap up there. You can head over to consummateathlete.com to grab the show notes. We'll include all the links that we've mentioned here. Uh, do us a solid, hit us up with a rating review on wherever you listen to this. It's super, super, super helpful. Uh, Let us know what you like. Let us know if you have any other questions as we kind of start getting into the 2023 race season here. All right. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you want to hear more training, racing, and endurance sport advice, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. You can also subscribe to our newsletter at consummateathlete.com for a weekly dose of inspiration and advice straight to your inbox.